Tonight I'm going to uh, read from Romans chapter 5. This is a message that's very hard to receive because the flesh don't like it. The spirit don't like it either. When we go through tests and trials. But tonight I want to talk about we need trouble. Can you say it? We need trouble. Oh, y'all don't want to say it. Come on, I need trouble. As she was talking, the Lord dropped something in me, on my mind, that said to, to remember your prayer request. About a year ago, you asked God for something, whether it was, I don't know exactly what it whether to know him deeper, whether to show himself another side of himself to you. Remember that prayer request. And then remember and look at the current test or trial that you're going through right now. That test, it's the answer to your prayer. We don't like it because when we pray to God, we often direct him in what to do. Instead of simply saying, Lord, let your will be done. Sometimes we've heard, tell the Lord exactly what you want. But I'm finding sometimes we are a little too descriptive with our prayers. We're too picky. Because he wants his will to be done. But when your will conflicts with his will, then you are insisting on praying the same thing over and over again. Slows down the entire process. All right. We need trouble. Romans 5 says, So now since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. For because of our faith, he has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has had in mind for us to be. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Then, when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well. For we know how dearly God loves us and we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We need trouble. I could have said we need hope, but without 
experience, there would be no hope. And I could say we just we need experience with God. But without patience, there would be no experience. Well, I could say, well, Lord, we just need patience. Well, without the patient, without the trial, without the test, without the tribulation, there's no patience. But that's where it all starts. If you want to get to hope, you need the trouble. If you have hope without trouble, it's a false hope. It's hope that is, that is very shaky. There's no foundation to it. It's not steady. You, you, it can't be trusted for you to stand on if it's not built and started with trouble. What should be our mindset during trials? In studying this, I found out that it shouldn't so much be when will this be over? Because usually when we're in the test, all we want to see is the exit. I can't wait to get out of the situation that I'm in. But rather, our mindset should really be, how will this cause me to grow? How much of himself is he trying to reveal to me? How big can God be in my little world? That should be our mindset in the test. Because when that's the mindset, it doesn't matter if you're there a month, a year, or a decade. As long as he's in the midst of it with you, that's all that matters. A lot of times it's easy to purchase something. But it's a lot harder to keep that thing looking new. The upkeep, the maintenance. Sometimes after I take my car to the car wash, somebody might pull up in the driveway and say, did you get a new car? No, the car is uh, about six, seven years old. I washed it and waxed it. Shine the rims on it again. So we have to be able to upkeep and keep our, our lives refreshed so that people can always see that there's something new about it. Folks, it, it, we shouldn't be able to come amongst one another and not see anything new transpiring. We claim to serve a true and living God, and we claim that we're living sacrifices, but we're dead. We look stale. We have spiritual rigor mortis that is set in. There's a song that says, Oh, to be kept by Jesus, kept by the power of God. So he says here in, in Romans 5 that we rejoice in tribulations. We glory in tribulations. Notice that he didn't say that we glory over the tribulations or trials. We don't glory about or for the trials, but we simply glory in them. That's very important. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 says, In everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He didn't say for everything give thanks. He didn't say about everything give thanks. He says in everything give thanks. You don't have to be thankful for the actual situation that you're in. But you are to be thankful while you're in the midst of it. It's the end. 
in which he will be with us in trouble and will bring us out. He said, I'll be with you in trouble and I'll bring you out. Now, sometimes we think that we have to call him to come get us out. There's a difference in him getting us out and him bringing us out. He is a very present help in time of trouble. I taught that at one of the retreats. He's already there. You don't have to call him. The rock follows you, remember? Wherever you go, he follows you. You're inseparable. Remember, the glory of the oneness is not that God is one, but that I could be one with him. That means that we cannot be separated by anything in life, in death, world to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we don't call him to get us out. He simply brings us out. Glorying and giving thanks about or for our situation will shift the focus from God to the trial. So when you're in your trouble, when you're in your test, when you're in your trial, what are you magnifying? What are you giving the airtime to? What is your testimony? What, what, how do you word it? Do you word it? I, I, I'm in the midst of, I'm in something with Jesus right now. Me and Jesus are going through a little something. Or do you say, oh, I, I've been through this and I've been through that and I've been through that. And, and you isolate yourself. I have been in the storm. And we leave Jesus out somewhere separate from us. Our testimony really should be Jesus and I are in the fire, but it's all right. We really should look for Christ in our trials. Often we, 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 we act like he's not there with us and that we long to see him one day. We long for his presence to embrace us, waiting for a touch from him when he's in you, with you, in the midst of it. Wow. That's the ploy of the devil, to be able to isolate you in your mind and say, that God has abandoned you and you're the only one going through what you're going through and nobody will understand it because you, you, you know it's only you by yourself. Nobody cares. Nobody loves you. Nobody understands. Nobody even wants to understand your situation. And you, believe, you start to believe that lie from the devil. Before you know it, he's got you way in a corner somewhere in depression. And God's got to sit there in your presence and watch you sulk. The comforter is with you and you refuse his comfort because of your distorted view of his grace, because of your distorted view of his mercy, and because your selfishness. When he is in it with us, miraculous things can take place. The reason and the way he does this is that he imparts a portion of his makeup to you. Think, think about the Hebrew boys that were thrown, thrown in the furnace. They were thrown because they refused to bow to the king. In fact, they said that respectfully, sir, 
we don't even respect you in this matter, is basically what they told him. We're not even going to answer this question. I serve the true and living God. There's no way I'm going to bow to your God. He said, I want you to heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. Now, this is at tens of thousands of degrees hot. These are refinery furnaces that melt gold and silver, that melt metals. Even the soldiers that were bringing them to throw them in the pit. They died from the heat. You know what that tells me? That if the soldiers that were getting ready to throw them into the pit died, how did they get thrown into the pit? They jumped in. They willfully jumped in. And Jesus is saying to you and I tonight, will you come on in here? Because when they got there, he was already in there. He said, we put three in there, but I see a fourth one walking around. He was already there. If you can look and stare your problem straight in the face, if you look at it with spiritual eyesight, you'll see Jesus waiting there for you saying, come on in. It's all right. I've already tested the waters. And what killed the prisoners that were placing them there couldn't even touch them because God changed their makeup. He didn't change the flame. He didn't take the heat out of the battle. He changed their flesh to withstand the heat. You are a different kind of person now that God has filled you with the Holy Ghost. It, you look the same. But you're a different man. You're a different woman now. It says that when they came out, they didn't even have smoke in their clothes. The other week, there were fires burning, and, and the entire county of Los Angeles was covered in ashes, and the smoke, the smell of smoke lingered for days. They were in a furnace that was able to melt gold seven times over and didn't even smell like smoke. And not only that, but they danced in it. He says we rejoice in tribulations. Peter was in the ship. They were out in the middle of this, the sea. And while they were out in the middle of the sea, a storm came. Now, they were waiting for Jesus before they left, but Jesus was taking a little too long for them. So they said, well, he'll catch up to us later. Let's just go on out. And we, we, we sail on out there in unknown territory without Jesus. Then in the middle of the night, they wake up. Peter sees a shadow on the sea coming. Jesus is walking on Peter's fear. He's fearing the storm that's about to take his life. But he looks out and says, Jesus, if it's really you, let me come to you. He said, 
Come on. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, Jesus, now it's not that we expect God to walk all over our tests and our trials. We expect him to hover above the storm that we're in. But he allowed Peter to get out on the storm and walk on his own tribulation. But he had to keep his focus. In the middle of the whole situation, something shifted. The wind started to blow a little harder. The waves started to rise and, and, and ruffle up more rigorously. And the sound of wind and the waves became bigger than Jesus. We don't say it, but we act like it. Lord, I know you're there. I know you work miracles, but maybe not for me. Maybe this, this, this test right here it's just a little bit too much for you to bring me out of this time. We have to consider that Jesus is there with us. He is not separated from us. Nothing has the power to separate us from his love. Perception is everything. Many times perception will ruin the reality. How you view something. It could be just as real as day, but if you don't believe, you, you could have a million dollars in the bank, but if you don't believe it's there, you're not going to go take it. He said the cattle on a thousand hills belong to you, and we're worried about what we're going to eat. The cattle. The most expensive thing in the restaurant is prime rib. The most expensive thing on the menu is yours. My Lord. He says we rejoice in tribulations because we have a certain knowledge. The reason for our rejoicing has to be knowledge. To know means that you have knowledge by intuition or perception. We must be consciously aware at the onset of troubles, or even before, that the end result will be our deliverance. We have confidence in God, or we should. We know that all things work together for our good. The scriptures say we know this. And, and Paul is talking to the folk like they really know it. What Paul was really saying is, I know it, but I'm going to speak a little faith into you. And I'm going to include you with me and say we. We know that all things work together. We're not guessing. We don't deduce. We don't hypothesize. We know. And if you haven't gotten to the place to where you know that whatever you're going through is working together for your good, then there's a disconnect between you and your father. God's desire is for us to have knowledge of him. Matthew 11 and 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart 
and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So without the knowledge of him, there is no rest for your soul. For the believer, trials work for him and not against him. No amount of suffering can separate us from the Lord, Romans 8 and 35. Instead, trials bring us closer to the Lord and make us more like the Lord. Suffering builds Christian character. So it says we, we glory in tribulation, in tests, in trials, cares, temptations. One word for trouble is tribulum. It means trouble or, or affliction of any kind. Pressure of a general sort or pressing together like grapes. And we already talked about the wine press. This is the definition that I, that I want to focus in on from one of the Hebrew words for tribulation. The ellipsis. It derives from roots that graphically portray the process in which a person is first limited, then walled in, and gradually squeezed until something must give. First step is limitation. You've come to a place where you can't go another step. You can't make another decision. Can't sing another song. Can't pray another prayer. You've done all that you thought you know to do. First step is limitation. Then the place where you have been halted, just stopped dead in your tracks. Now everything else seems to wall you in. The world seems to be closing in on you. And it gets so bad to where something's got to give. Something has got either I'm going to die in this situation or this wall's got to come down. So you have anguish, your burden, persecution, tribulation, trouble. Trial means an adversity with the potential either to purify or to corrupt. We'll talk about the fire in a few minutes. But a trial is something that is an adversity that has the potential to either purify you or corrupt you. So when you come out of what you come out of, you will either have failed the test or passed the test. You have everything you need to pass it. 2 Corinthians 4 and 8 says that we are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed or broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. So our troubles, he says, will come from many different sources and because they come from many different sources, they have a tendency to target various aspects of our overall character. Different kinds of tests are pinpointing a certain quality in you. We don't want to go through the same test for the same purpose. This is why we must be pressed in on all sides. The Holy Ghost has both strengthened us and given us an incredible flexibility that cannot be taken to the point of breaking. I have seen how they could take a, a huge wooden beam, but they want to install it in an arch. How do you take something that is stiff and hard and you want to shape it into an arch? Well, what they do is they put it in a solution. 
that softens it. Because anybody that's ever broken up wood knows that if I take a, a straight plank and I put my foot on it and pull up, it's going to snap. But what do I do when I want to bend something that will, under normal circumstances, snap under pressure? It's got to have a certain kind of solution to it. And it's got to soak in there a while. So then comes the patience. He says, tribulation worketh patience. This word worketh actually means to work fully or to accomplish. By implication, it means to finish or to fashion. In other words, there's a course and there is a set timer to it. The trouble will last until the patience is accomplished. We often talk about the attributes of God, but we, we can't leave patience out. You have to put patience up there with holiness, omniscience, omnipresence. You, you, you have to put patience in there because he is the epitome of patience. The Bible calls him in Romans 15 and 5, the God of patience, not only of patience, but of patience and consolation. Consolation can only be gained through patience. The greater the patience, the greater the consolation. His patience has a direct link with what the Old Testament calls his slowness to anger. Because the Old Testament doesn't deal with the word patience. But it deals with God and his slowness to anger. Because of his patience, he is willing to be considered as slacking concerning his promise. In 2 Peter 3 and 9, it says that they have charged God with slack. Because he didn't do a thing when they thought he should do it. He said all things remain the same. Why, should, why should we believe that? Y'all keep saying that God's going to do this, God's going to do that, and he hasn't done it yet. But he says that he's not slack concerning his promise. The only reason he hasn't come yet is because he's patient. And that he wants more and more of you getting you ready, getting the church ready for him. He's willing to take that. Now, most folk, we don't receive people calling us names and stuff. We, we don't like that. In fact, usually when somebody says that you're this or you're that, we're going to try our hardest to prove them wrong. But God is patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. She talked about people being willfully ignorant willfully blind the bible says that this willful ignorance he winked at it but now commands every man everywhere to repent it was his patience that even has god just winking at ignorance i know you i know you're ignorant i know you're blind i'm just gonna wink at you and tell you you need to change regarding the church Paul says that he has long patience, long patience, so that he might receive the early and the latter rain. It's got to be completed. Even God's patience is being completed. If he's got to complete his patience, 
why don't you think you got to complete your patience? Because we think that it's going to kill us. If that thing was going to kill you, you would have been dead a long time ago. If we are to be called Christians, then we must have a godly patience. God's patience always gives opportunity and time for repentance or time for change of mind. As God's patience gave opportunity for revelation of God working through Christ, so does our patience give opportunity for the revelation of Christ working through us. It is a direct mirror of Christ. What is patience? Patience is an active endurance of opposition and not a passive resignation. Paul told Timothy, did you need to endure hardness as a good soldier? So patience is endurance, steadfastness, long-suffering, and forbearance. Patience is also, in I believe it's Galatians 5, is the fourth uh, grace named in the fruit of the Spirit, the fourth virtue. Human patience is not a virtue achieved, but it is a gift received. Patience is not something that you work toward. Patience is something that God must give you at the moment, in the battle. And it has to be moment by moment. My, one of my grandmother's favorite songs was, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. So many times we think and we get so far in the future. Something just hit me. Isaiah 46. Verse number eight says, don't forget this, O guilty ones, and don't forget the many times I clearly told you what was going to happen in the future. For I am God, I only, and there is no, no other like me. Who can tell what is going to happen? All I say will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Then he says in verse number 12, listen to me, you stubborn, evil men. For I am offering you my deliverance, not in the distant future, but right now. I am ready to save you, and I will restore Jerusalem and Israel, who is my glory. So many times we talk about future deliverance when he's saying that I want to deliver you now. Now is all you got. You might as well glory and rejoice in tribulation, knowing that the end is going to be deliverance. So it, patience comes when one is strengthened with the power of God. Colossians 1 and 11 says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. So it's courageous endurance in expectation of God's action, not apathy or despondency. Many times we claim to be patient, but all the while we're moaning and groaning and complaining. When you should be like the three Hebrew boys rejoicing. Many times we are sitting there having a pity party under our tree and God's rejoicing without us. Because he knows what the end's going to be. He's tried to give us this knowledge. And after giving us this knowledge, we say, Lord, I don't believe it. That's why we're despondent. First Peter 
1 and 7 says, These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of the fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. So he's talking about the refiner's fire. Zechariah 13 and 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, this is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. In Matthew 3 and 11, talking about the fire. John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. But he will ignite the kingdom of life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house and make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. He says that the Holy Ghost is a fire that's going to burn in, from the inside and spread out. If you don't have joy in the test, your joy outside of the test won't stand. Anybody has joy when it's all well. That's the carnal man. Only the spiritual man can sit in, in, in a life that looks like hell and say, I really thank God because I know he's going to deliver me. I don't know when, but the fact that I know he will is enough for me to praise him. Malachi talks about the fire in three and one. He says, listen, I will send my messenger before me to prepare the way. That's John the Baptist. And then the one you are looking for will come suddenly to his temple, the messenger of God's promises to bring you great joy. Yes, he is surely coming, says the Lord Almighty. But who can live when he appears? Who can endure his coming? For he is like a blazing fire refining precious metal, and he can bleach the dirtiest garments. Like a refiner of silver, he will sit and closely watch as the dross is burned away. He's closely watching you. Not from a distance. Remember, he's in it with you. And he's got his eyes fixed on you. Looking to see what's coming out of you in this fire. Dross is the impure part of every metal. And when the fire melts that metal and it reaches a certain temperature, everything impure floats to the surface. And they can just scoop it right on off and leave the pure stuff in the pot. And then they can shape it in, every way, in whichever way they can. And when it's shaped, the impurity will not be there. 
That's why he says, who can stand this? When, when, he really, when the Holy Ghost really comes, will you be able to stand it? And I'm so sick of the phrase, Lord, give me a double portion of your spirit. There is no such thing as a double portion of the Lord's spirit. We haven't done anything with the first portion. There's no double portion of God's spirit. There's no scripture to support that. Impossible. Because that's saying that what he gave me in the beginning was not enough. He will purify the Levites, the ministers of God. We're, we're ministers. Everyone is a minister of Christ. Refining them like gold or silver so that they will do their work for God with pure hearts. If you haven't been through trouble, you are not going to serve God with a pure heart because the fire hasn't burned the impurities out. Jonah had some impurities that were stuck in him. To where he said, all right, I got another fire to put you in, another well. And that well only had one purpose in life because the Bible says that the Lord prepared for Jonah a great fish. That fish was created for Jonah. The test that you're in right now was divinely created by God for you. It wasn't the devil. God created. You got to believe that he orchestrates your life. The devil can't touch you. The Bible says that the wicked one toucheth them not. And if he does touch you, he's got permission from God to do so. I'm sorry, not even permission, recommendation from God to touch you. Then he says, then patience worketh experience. Experience means character that has been proved. It doesn't mean that you could walk around and say, yeah, I was sick, but the Lord healed me. That ain't experience. It's more, I went through this so the Lord could show me this that was in me that he had to pull out. And in the end, my heart was pure. Every test is to give you a pure heart. His power and love are provided through our patience. And our love for him is also proven. So experience is approval of integrity as the result of a trial. Then he says that experience works hope. So here's the sequence. Tribulation, patience, experience, or, or character, and hope. Here's the addition of it. Testing or trials or tribulation or trouble plus Christ equals patience. Patience plus Christ equals character. Character or experience plus Christ equals hope. So simply, confidence in God, we have confidence in both his ability and his willingness to move on our behalf. Many times we speak of his ability, but we shun his willingness. And we question, I know that you're able, but will you in fact do it? 
And for fear that he won't, we, will, we, we don't testify about his willingness to do it. We don't believe that we're truly the apple of his eye, that, that we're his sweetheart. The bottom line to all of this, of course, is love. Because the fifth verse says, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So if he died for us while we were sinners, how much more will he do for us that we're his children? I'm in sin, estranged from God. Don't worship God. Don't praise God. He died for me in that condition. But I don't believe now that I've given my life to him and I'm doing my best to live for him that he will move on my behalf. See, unbelief is really the core sin. Because one thing, unbelief will send you into the despondency. Not only that, but unbelief ties God's hands to even reach out and help you. He doesn't help the unbeliever. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to even please him. Unbelief is dangerous. So the spirit within us sheds God's love in and through us. So if people don't feel like they are receiving God's love through us, then something is wrong. He said the Holy Ghost is in us and it's shed abroad. Not only within your own being, but it, it goes out from there. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 5 says, May the Lord bring you into an ever deeper understanding of the love of God and of the patience that comes from Christ. Paul wants us to get a deeper revelation about God's love. We don't hear enough about God's love. And I found out that the opposite of love is not hate. But the opposite of love is fear. It's not hate. It's fear. First John brings it out. First John 4 and 18 says, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes out of as a result of his loving us first. John says, if you fear what God's going to do to you, you have no idea what his love is about. And we have so many, especially children, who are growing, uh, brought up in life and taught, God's going to get you. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. God's going to do that. He's going to get you. Not he loves you. He says, if you serve God out of fear, you have no understanding at all about God's love. Everybody ought to study God's love. Because if you don't have an understanding of that, you, you, you just, you, you've gotten nowhere. 
Do you know his love? If you don't know his love, you won't have patience and your discipleship will fail the test of authenticity. Despair causes one to seek death rather than wait for the blessing that is in the storm. This is why you don't want to soak into despondency. Because you would rather die. You, you, don't, want to, you don't want to hear somebody that's suicidal. They won't go and kill themselves, but what, their, their very character, their attitude, the way they carried themselves, they're, suicide, they're, they're looking for death. Because they don't have the patience to endure the storm. That's because they don't know God's love. We need trouble. Because in order to get to the, to the love that's shed abroad in our hearts, you got to start with trouble. Job. Job got to a place to where he was suicidal. In 6 and 11, he says, where's the strength to keep my hopes up? What future do I have to keep me going? Do you think I have nerves of steel? <laughs> do you think that I'm made of iron? Do you think that I could pull myself up by my bootstraps? Sometimes we don't say these prayers to the Lord, but we, this is how we act toward them. But what do you, you expect me to pay, you know, give offering and, and, and give to the poor and do these things. And I don't have a dime to do it. You expect me to do this and do that and go here and go that and talk to this one and minister to that one. Don't you know it's hard to minister to somebody when you're going through? But when God gives you that, the word of encouragement, you, you got to speak life. That's why the minister has to go through the fire. So he says, do you think that I could pull myself up by my bootstraps? He says, I don't even have any bootstraps to pull. Lord, you really expect me to make ends meet? I don't even know where the end is. So Hebrews 10 says, you have need of patience. You need patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The Living Bible Translation says, you need to keep on patiently doing God's will if you want him to do for you all that he has promised. You want the result, then you got to be patient. But you just can't sit there and wait and just twiddle in the thumb. You've got to give all of the glory that is due his name to him in the midst of the storm. Not as not fabricated, not false, not falsetta, but you got to give him the real praise down on the inside of you. The praise that you give your test, that's the praise God wants. Here's the bottom line. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, but for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward the consummation. Number one, trust steadily in God. Number two, hope unswervingly. And number three, love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. The King James says, now abided these three. 
faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But until you reach that completeness, all you have to do are these three things. Trust in God, have hope in him, and love. Love him, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is really the simplicity of Christ right there. You want to know what all the rules and regulations and stripping you down and building you back up. And he says, this is what you need. Faith, love, and hope. You need trouble. You might as well go through it. 